Welcome to the DGR podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone, David here. Welcome back to the DGR podcast. This is episode number 72. I hope you're all doing well. I'm going to do a bit of a solo pod for you today. Um, So I'm going to answer a few questions. One is discussing the idea or maybe principle around position dictating function. One is a question on helping my colleagues, my physio colleagues look at and see movement better. And then one is a question on uh, developing thoughts on developing general versus specific strength in the gym or in the weight room. So those are the three questions that I'm going to try and tackle. And uh, yeah, I think it'll be a fun episode. The since we spoke last or since I did a, la- a solo last, we were actually in Munich for a workshop, for a lower limb workshop, which was great. So thanks to Jonathan and all the guys there for hosting us. Um, we had a great time. I had a few notes in my phone before I started the podcast. I actually just opened my phone. I was like, oh, I, I meant to say, because it's actually a few weeks ago since we were there. And um, I saw a few of the notes that I had from the workshop, which was Germans. Uh, and then like a few, a few little... Uh, bullet points and one is tall and bouncy so there there was lots of tall bouncy males and females very bouncy very good at the so at the plyo so probably the best group for the plyos that i've seen so far i think um another bullet point was they they came as groups and teams so uh there was different groups of of people that came together as part of like their their gym so four or five of them came together from one area uh four or five came together from another area four or five from another area so that was um that was really cool to see that kind of there's, there's probably not as much of that in ireland to be honest it's smaller like one and two people teams um and they seem to really like collaborate well together between physios and coaches and stuff like that so that was really interesting Uh, another bullet point was they really like measuring things which i think we probably knew about germans anyway but a lot of the questions were around um uh like how do i kind of just how do i know when someone is ready to progress and looking for kind of more objective measurements and i'm more much more of a like a a fuck around and find out kind of guy so uh that was that was interesting for me made me think like do i how, how do i explain this better um how do i figure out how to make the progressions that we use and like they don't have to be viewed as progressions because it's not always just viewed as rehab it's it's training in general but how do we view kind of nudging people forward how do we know when they might be ready for this next exercise or whatever so that's something that I've been thinking about a little bit but I don't know maybe that maybe it's just different personalities like so with my clients I, I I push people on quite aggressively quite fast not fast, I won't say fast, but I am quite aggressive with progressing people on. But we have a lot of like logical steps and you'll see different exercises, obviously on Instagram or whatever, or DJR or in the workshops or whatever, where you'll see logical steps where we just nudge people forward. But we're always trying to nudge people forward. Now, not to say like you always need to get to the next exercise, let's say, like, I don't want people to think like we should be milking out our exercises for all that we can. 
uh, absolutely milking them out before trying to change things all the time. I don't mean that, but I mean like if you're trying to get someone back to running, like you're nudging them forwards through their their plyometrics, let's say, all of the time. You're nudging them forward in the higher speed running all of the time. And, and I don't necessarily feel like I need a computer to tell me when someone is ready to be nudged forward because we have a lot of just logical progressions where it feels to me at least like if you do this well, if it looks good and you get good feedback from the client, then it looks good. Like they should be ready for the next thing. It's not a massive leap forward. And suddenly like when you have a, when you have a smart, logical and safe, of course, step-by-step type of progression, let's say, you kind of end up where you want to be pretty quickly without ever feeling like you've taken any big risks. So that was interesting. And don't get me wrong, like I do have clients obviously go and get testing done, biomechanical testing, strength testing done when they need it. Um, but a lot of the time that's as much or maybe more for them than for me where they're getting a, they're getting some feedback on where they are, what they need to work on. But what it doesn't really change that much. I don't think what we need to work on because I think if you have a good eye and you're just yeah, I just th- I just think a lot of the time it's obvious what people need to work on. So I think Germans love measuring things, and maybe me or maybe Irish people. I don't know. I'll just say me are not so much of a measure measurers. Um, so that's just an interesting little thing and maybe maybe we need to meet in the middle a little bit so that was that was good and then we also had an interesting conversation on the saturday night which is not something i had had thought too much about and it was more about the content creation side of things so the some of the guys that were there like they create a lot of content and a lot of really good content but it's in german and i asked like do, do you view that as a good thing or a bad thing do you view that as uh positive that obviously you're creating content in German so you're going to be attracting a German speaking audience which maybe means like it's easier to stand out for that audience because there's less people creating content around biomechanics and rehab and all that stuff like in in this world in in the German speaking community or do you feel like it's actually a massive cap let's say on how far you can actually progress things because the, the Germans were at, let's say, they, they came to my workshop. So I'm speaking English. They can come and they can attend my workshop, which is obviously great for me and hopefully great for them as well. But I couldn't go to their workshop if they were doing it in German. So And I can't really consume their content if they're doing it in German. So, yeah, I think it kind of came back that it was, like most things, like a little bit of a positive and a little bit of a negative where it was maybe a little bit easier to stand out in Germany, but of course, like you're, you're going to be limited and you're going to be, you're going to struggle to, you're you're not going to be able to reach the masses as well. So yeah, that's not something, it, it just made me realize like how lucky we are to actually have access to the world basically by speaking English and yeah, that was that was something to to think about, and I ne- I never really thought too much about that with regards to people who speak different languages. and And do you choose? Okay, I'm going to double down and just do everything in English, even though it's my second language, and even though I'm going to alienate some of my local people. Versus, I'm going to do everything in German and and just focus on this market as much as I can. So, uh, yeah, something interesting to think about. Okay. Which uh, question will we start with first? So, yeah, uh, Munich was a brilliant workshop. 
one of the one of the best groups I think we've had so far. Super, super fun. Really enjoyed it. And um, I expected that because that sold out in like 24 hours. So obviously that kind of tells you that they were really, people were really keen to come. So thanks to the good, thanks to everyone for, who came. And um, and yeah, hopefully we'll be back again maybe next year potentially. Um, okay, so first question, would you consider position dictates function? That's in quotation marks as a fundamental principle of human movement? Um, good question. So that's, that's something you'll hear uh, a, dec- a decent amount, um, position dictates function. I, I think it's an important thing to, to think about and to understand what people are saying when they say that. The one word that I might have an issue with there is dictates, position dictates function. I would say position influences function might be a bit more accurate because when you start to work with injured people, you start to realize that a lot more than... Actually, sorry, when you work with any population, you should realize that it's a lot more than just the position of their bones that dictates function. And it is, is always having a massive influence on function but so is so much else as well so for example like after a after a, an acl injury there's going to be a ton of inhibition around the quad and i don't even mean like immediately after i mean like i mean let's say two months after there's still going to be inhibition let's say let's say like six weeks after people might be struggling to get the quad kind of firing quote unquote they're struggling with that connection there and you can put them in a position to try and dictate that function so you can put them into a leg extension with the perfect pelvic position the perfect setup on the machine all this stuff and if you just believe that position dictates function then you're you might struggle because they might still have a poor connection with that area and and that could just result in like them doing leg extensions and actually having knee pain whereas you could use your words you can use tempo you can use a lot of different things to try and influence function as well let's say so it's the same like with a probably a better example is a manual muscle test on the table so you can put someone into you can obviously bias a position and you can trick someone into believing they're strong and weak by based on like where where you position their elbow or their wrist or their shoulder so it's really important to understand the position that we put someone in and the length tension relationships that, that are then available to them based on that position is going to have a massive influence on their function but also a way of a way of changing a manual muscle test could be something as simple as turning up the music. So I turn up the music really loud. I get them pumped. I put on a song that they love and suddenly they quote unquote function better. They function, they, they appear stronger They get more motor output there. So in that instance, also like I could put them in the, the, let's say a really good position where they should be really strong in this position, but I can use words and maybe yeah make them feel maybe unsafe in that position and they'll get less motor output i could also get them to look in a certain direction with their eyes and they might get less motor output so there's so many different things that influence function as much as or i won't say as much as just like 
Yeah, may, maybe as much as just a position that you're putting someone in. So your words and your your cues, someone's injury history. So you can keep so, putting someone into a position where you think, okay, the hamstrings, the quads, the obliques should be functioning in a certain way in this position, but they're just not. And maybe it's because of a prior injury or that tissue actually, actually isn't responding the way you want. You want to. You wanted to that that the brain's connection with that area, a million a million things there. I would say so. I think it's a really, I think it's a really important thing to understand position influences function and has a massive influence on function. But it, I'm not sure it dictates function because so many other things are also having an influence on that as well. And if you only think that that's what's, that's what's dictating it, like, oh, I just presume that if I put someone in this position, X, Y, Z is going to happen. I wouldn't be so sure about that because that kind of separates bones and tissues from the nervous system and what's actually happening under the hood, let's say, what a, how a nervous system is interpreted, interpreting it. And... For someone, for example, like I had patellar tendinopathy for a long time and there was days where I was in a position that should have had the quad doing what I wanted it to to do and pain would dictate function because it was so sore, there was no way that I could get my quad firing in that instance uh, or firing like I would want, even though I don't love that word firing, but it wasn't, it wasn't doing what I would want it to do and people could keep changing my position all of the time and and tweaking my position but it wouldn't work it wouldn't do what i wanted it to do because it was just too painful and this also speaks a little bit to the 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 gait cycle stuff and the movement stuff where just just movement in general where if you look at someone's gait cycle let's say you're you're watching someone walk and they're not doing a certain thing again we'll, we'll stick with like the patellar tendinopathy so they don't look like they get into mid stance and you're trying to get them you're trying to do things that get them into mid stance you looks like they won't bend their knee and you start to think okay like they won't bend their knee maybe that's they're, they're not able to pronate their foot they're not able to drop their shin forward maybe they're not able to internally rotate at the hip maybe they're too uh, anterior tilted or posterior tilted or center of mass is too far forward a million things for our dgr interactive members this week's video is on breathing drills for opening the chest and improving anterior expansion i talk about some specific positions and cues to help clients that are quite compressed through the front of their body and caught with a bit of a down pump handle it's about 10 minutes long it's live on the site now so you can go and watch that could all be true, but also they could just have a very sore patellar tendon on that day. And if you actually, if you actually get the, if you actually just get that analgesic effect by warming up, suddenly you see their gait change. And actually, that's what's now they have like a really good looking gait cycle. They pass through the phases, no problem whatsoever. So in that instance, a painkiller could influence function. You know what I mean? Um, uh, like a, a man, doing manual therapy could influence function. You haven't changed the position. You've actually changed. You've actually changed how the nervous system is interpreting what's going on. 
you've you've dulled down a sensation or you've turned up a sensation or a million other things so a warm-up can influence function in that way and the position could be the same except well now they can access a different position because of that so i really i wouldn't so the question is like would you consider it a fundamental principle i i i don't know i actually should just google like what what fundamental like how how what the definition of fundamental principle is does that mean like that's kind of mostly set in stone um i wouldn't consider it a fundamental principle i would consider it a very important concept to understand but when you look at movement and you try and understand the complexity then if you consider that a fundamental principle, that means that it does, does, sorry, does that mean I'm asking a question that that is how you view movement. And then that is how you will always treat by trying to alter. If someone is struggling with X, Y, and Z, you're trying to alter the position rather than altering one of a million other stimuluses or inputs that you could to, to get a different output, let's say. So um, super important to understand how much position does influence function but probably just i would consider changing the word dictates to influences and then it's like a rock rock solid concept that everyone should be able to understand and utilize with great success if you really understand what that actually means um but if you start to think it dictates function then maybe that leads you down a path of like always going after trying to you're, you're not getting the results you want from a certain muscle so you're always trying to alter position of the pelvis or the axioskeleton or the foot. And it that could not that might not be the issue whatsoever. So uh this is where I think working in the kind of rehab space or working with people in pain or working with people struggling with their movement is really cool because you get to you get to you kinda have to leave your bias at the door because when someone is in pain when someone is struggling when someone is coming back from an injury you kind of have to search for things to to find what works for them and you, i don't think i know a lot of people are but i don't think you can be too married to any one principle let's say um well maybe maybe you can but you can't be yeah i don't i don't know how much you'd be thinking like this is a fundamental principle so um so yeah okay that's that one um Next one, how to, excuse me, I'm just have a sip of my coffee here. Pretty good, Cortado, full fat milk, oat milk is gone. Uh, how to make my physio colleagues start to look at and see movement better. All they want to do is put people on the plinth. Um, I get this question pretty regularly and I think there's a really good saying which is because we can talk about a lot of things. We can talk about like cleaning up their assessment. We can talk about giving them simple assessments. We can talk about time management in, in clinic, which I actually spoke about, I think, in the last solo podcast. So actually having the time to work on movement. We can talk about the type of clientele that they're going to be seeing because some people just want to be put on the plinth. So you can talk about a million things there. So it will be a very wide ranging answer. But I think there's a really great saying which kind of cuts through a lot of the crap here and yeah like for like at least how I'm gonna interpret this question in the beginning which is 
the eyes are useless when the mind is blind. So I guess like what that means to me is you can do all of these things to talk about time management, talk about helping them assess better, um, talk about looking at movement, coaching movement better. But a lot of the time, it's not that they can't see movement. They probably can't see movement because the only way you can see it and actually observe it and coach is if you try. So it's but but ultimately it's not that they can't see movement and coach movement it's that they don't want to and that's an issue that you're probably not going to be able to change and you're going to end up so this is a regular question and you're going to end up banging your head on a wall trying to get your your colleagues or your peers or whoever to try and change and start to see things a little bit more like you do or a little bit more like we do i don't really try to get anyone to change i I think the best way of doing this is set an example. Don't, and this goes for every, pretty much everything in life. The more you try and tell someone you should be doing something this way, the less it's going to work. So I think a great way is just setting an example. If you're getting amazing results, your clients are raving about how good you are, you're, you're, you're able to charge more, they're, you're getting more referrals, um, they're writing testimonials for you, you are happier in your job, you're earning more, you're work, you ne- don't need to work as many hours, you're not as stressed, you're more relaxed with each client because you actually have more skills available to you, then ultimately they are going to notice that and they're going to want to, at least, at least the smart ones are going to want to start to, to change. And now change can be slow because people are tribal and of course people are motivated by money. So like if you're the only one I imagine like when you say physio colleagues, you're working in a clinic, let's say with a a group of others. So if you're the only one doing a certain thing in a certain way and all the others are, are doing it in a different way, then yeah, you, you're the, you're kind of the outsider. Maybe you're the one that's being laughed at a little bit behind your back in the beginning. I had a conversation with someone that was at our London workshop, actually it uh, kind of that he felt that his other colleagues were, were, were kind of not on board with what he was doing and and what a lot of they were doing is traditional crap which is just a ton of manual therapy like glute clams that kind of stuff and he was actually getting people moving and he felt like the outsider which is crazy to think that he felt like the outsider because he was actually focusing on movement and making people stronger but ultimately like people are tribal so if you're the outsider you're you're gonna you're gonna be the outsider and money is another thing so money is a massive motivator so the more you get good results, the more your books are full, the more you can charge. That forces people to, to take notice. And then really only when they're convinced, okay, I might, this is going to improve my career and my life personally, that's when they're going to start to, to change it. Because, yeah, they're massively invested in what they learned. Imagine going to university or college for four years working for another four years or 10 years or 15 years, and then someone is someone is almost doing the opposite of what you were taught to do. You're not going to want to change that quickly. You're going to think, okay, I just spent the last 15 years like doing things that weren't, weren't, weren't particularly helpful. So, so yeah, it depends. Maybe they just haven't been exposed to like actually working with movement, which again, sounds funny, but it's true. People just haven't been exposed to actually assessing movement and trying to coach movement. They've been trying and that's, that's fine. They're, I just consider myself lucky that I 
found a lot of smart people along the way and it could have worked out completely differently and I could be I could be sitting in clinic or I could be sitting coaching doing the same things that I I kind of say are crap all of the time I could be giving people just glute clams lying on the floor um band pull apart this kind of this kind of like isolated work which just doesn't actually work and to be honest makes people makes people feel worse so perhaps they're someone who hasn't been exposed to it or perhaps they're just not interested and if they're not interested then you can't change that if they are interested and they haven't been exposed to it then yeah you can you can probably change that but when you do pair someone that is devoid of curiosity and is also so when you couple someone that's devoid of curiosity and filled with a huge false sense of confidence in what they do then that's an immovable object you're going to be pushing into that person and they're going to push back against you so if they're not curious about movement and trying to improve how they observe and coach and choose movements so they're not curious about that and then they're also filled with a false sense of confidence in what they're actually doing at the moment already doing so they're absolutely sure that this is the right way the way i'm doing it now this is the right way there is no other way that's someone that you're not going to change their mind by trying to speak to them the only way is eventually they come to their own conclusion which is this person gets way better results with me than me and ultimately their rewards are way better as well so that's what I would say the eyes are useless when the mind is blind so don't try and train their eyes if they're someone that's not just not interested just lead by example basically um okay last question then uh thoughts on developing general versus specific strength in the weight room I think I I'm pretty sure I did a podcast episode on something like this before around specificity Hey guys, David here. Just a quick break from the show. Wanted to remind you about our new foot and Achilles program. It's over 1,000 users now. And if you're not one of those, then you definitely should be. There's so much learnings in there, helping people get from kind of sore, inflexible, immobile, not very strong feet, all the way up to feet that can handle high levels of impact, very strong, very mobile. And you learn so much along the way, you get lifetime access. So absolutely, if you're interested in movement, I honestly think this is a non-negotiable program that you should have access to. So check out the link in the show notes for the Foot and Achilles program. It's a it's a it's a tricky, it's a tricky one. I think we should be pretty general in the weight room. Uh, we we just call it gym in Ireland, but in in America, I think you call it the weight room. So you'll see a good a good example or a good client to look at is Kate, one of my clients, the the red haired girl, the race walker. So her sport is race walking. How much strength do you need to be a race walker? Not not that much, really, not that much. Now I don't mean I I'm not saying like I'm not saying that they're not strong. They are strong. And I'm not saying they're not good athletes. They are good athletes. But I mean, like, how much do you need to be able to squat and deadlift to be a, a, a good race walker? Probably not that, not that much. But am I getting Kate to squat and deadlift? And actually, a, good, a better example is we're actually doing a lot of plyos and all this stuff, throws. Do, does she need to actually leave the ground and come back to the ground again? No, because they're actually not allowed to have 
two feet off the ground at the same time and we're doing a lot of work where she has two feet off the ground at the same time and i'm teaching her or trying to help her learn her system learn how to manage these collisions better and in a different way than she gets in her sport so i'm trying to be as unspecific as possible in her training and i'm trying to develop her into a the best as as much of a well-rounded athlete as i can because she focused for so such a large part of her life on trying to be a race walker, which obviously that's her sport. Obviously, her goals were to go to the Olympics or are to go to the Olympics and, and do all these great things. So, But her body started to kind of mold and morph into race walking. So she would, when she was talking to you, she stood in a way a, a race walker would stand when she was when she was walking like around the gym, she would walk in that way. When she was squatting, she would actually squat in that way. I have videos like you'll see she rocks from heel to toe. She never pressurizes the midfoot because they're not allowed to bend her knee. And if you can't bend your knee, you can't get your weight into your midfoot. You can't pressurize the midfoot. So all of that work that we're doing is completely and it couldn't be more unspecific to our sport, but we're building strength in, in a way that's completely unspecific. That's making her a more well-rounded athlete so that she actually feels good and there's some variability in her life rather than just always moving in the way that she moves in her sport. And race walking is a kind of extreme example of that, but it's pretty much every athlete. Like you look at a sprinter, they will race towards in just their walking or their squatting, they will race towards max propulsion mid stance and max propulsion and late stance very very quickly in a squat they will push towards the front of their foot they will extend their back um they won't squat very deep because they don't need a lot of dorsiflexion in in, in sprinting they they don't keep their heel down in sprinting and, and why would they and why would why would we want them to but does that mean that when you get into the gym you never keep their heel down for anything no because maybe they start to pick up some little issues around the achilles Maybe like the only reason we're doing like heel down work, like a, a simple little pronation rep or something like that with the heel down, I'm not trying to teach them to run with their heel down. We're just using it to mobilize the midfoot and the rear foot a little bit. That's all. It's unspecific to what they're doing. If someone else like, I don't know, if someone else has, is doing a sport where your heels are down all the time, I'm probably going to actually take your heels off the floor and do loads of work with your heels off the floor in the gym. So I, I, a lot of the time I'm being super unspecific, but just trying to make people strong generally. But what I will say is I am specific with certain things that I would like to see happen in a lot of unspecific movements so i'm super specific within like if i start to zoom in and go a bit more micro with it so for example when i get someone or when i want someone to push through the floor i'm specific with where i want them to push through it it's going to be more from the middle part of their foot this kind of mid stance position with a positive shin angle it's going to be maybe slightly towards the inside of their foot. So a slightly more pronated state. And it's going to be in this middle and max propulsive position. So I'm super specific that regardless of the exercise. Now, it, it depends. Like if you're doing a reverse sled walk, you're going to be pushing through your heel because you're moving backwards. So it, it does depend. It definitely does depend. For, for the most part, I'm very specific with where I want them to push through. Because... 
I have like a, a key principle of internal rotation is how we push through the ground or how we push through the ground best. So how we really can push through the ground best is, is some internal rotation. And that's going to come in that middle and max propulsive position. So that's what I'm going to be specific with, regardless of the exercise for the most part. But of course, there's some examples where that wouldn't be the case. Uh, I want people to be able to pressurize the midfoot, which comes along with that. I want them to be able to delay knee extension. So when they're coming up out of a squat or a hinge in particular, they're, I don't want the knee to extend first. I want them to get a lot of hip extension first, and then they're either delaying knee extension or they're not getting knee extension at all. So one of those two things, depending on the exercise, I want them to get a really active hip extension. And that hip extension comes kind of before back extension and before knee extension. So I'm super specific with that. And I will coach that in almost every single gym exercise. Again, it depends. There'll be some exercises where I don't mind if the knee straightens first. But for the most part, we're delaying the extension. We're getting hip extension before back extension and knee extension. In the episode that I did with Jonas Dodu, the Speedworks episode, um, I don't know what number it was, but in that one, he spoke about he, he actually spoke about something similar, which was cool. He, t- he has a cue like with, with sprinting or acceleration or whatever it is, bum before back. So you're looking for hip extension before back extension. And he will cue that like that's the same thing he's looking for in the gym. And that makes complete sense to me. We want an active hip extension because a lot of exercises in the gym, we're trying to load our hips. And if you just extend your back or extend your knee, as the main driver, then you're getting a passive hip extension. You're not actually using your hip muscles. So I'm specific on on those things that I want. And the interesting thing is that they all kind of come they come together. When you pressurize the midfoot, when you get someone into a middle and max propulsive position and pressurize the midfoot and push with internal rotation, then that's going to delay knee extension. And that's going to give you time and allow you to actually get your hip to extend before your knee and your back. So that's where I'm super specific with how i want people to move in the gym but it's not doing specific exercises necessarily that are specific to their sport i think that's just specific to excuse me i think that's just specific to really good movement in general and the issue i i I see is when people try to get uh generally strong in the gym a lot of the time they do it in a way that promotes the exact opposite of all the things that i just described and the issue isn't that they got generally strong people think okay there's no transfer over to their sport because they just got generally strong i don't think that's the case i think the transfer there's no transfer over to their sport because not because they got generally strong but they they messed up a little bit of the the patterns that we want in movement when we push through the floor we want to push in this way it's not really debatable when you look at sports movements tennis soccer golf anyone who's any good is doing these things that i just described them four things push from middle and max pressurize the midfoot delay knee extension get hip extension before knee and back extension anyone who moves well does those things um and if you look at how they move in the gym, until they're coached otherwise, they kind of try to do those things as well, unless, except where like they're put into exercises where it just doesn't suit their body type and they're forced to find another pattern. So I think people that, 
the, 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 the transfer, the lack of transfer that comes with gen- getting generally strong is because they don't train it in this way, which ultimately they're not actually using their hips. They're using their back and their knee a lot. So, and, and that's, I want to, I want to make sure I kind of cover not all of my bases. I don't always have to cover all my bases, but like there's always, a, it depends and stuff. I'm not saying don't train back extension or knee extension in the gym. You can train them isolated and blah, 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 blah. I think that's fine. But when you're on, when you're standing up, when you're on a single leg, when you're in a split stance, when you're on a double leg, and you're doing exercises designed to load the hips, you need to get hip extension before knee extension. You need to delay knee extension. You need to push from middle and max. And I think that's where you need to be super specific. And the lack of transfer with general strength is because people aren't doing it in that way. And the negative transfer transfer with general strength is because people aren't doing it that way. And then their body starts to move in the new way that they've done it. And uh yes, I can say that pretty confidently that that happens a lot of the time. All you need to do is look at a lot of bodybuilders and powerlifters. That's how they move. They move. They, their, their movement is driven from back extension and knee extension, and they don't use their hips very well. So that's where I would say being super specific is important. But that requires you to be able to actually understand movement, observe it, coach it, and choose the right exercises for the right person. So I would say it's a broad question. It's thoughts on developing general versus specific strength. So I would say like build general strength, go and build general strength, but in the movement patterns themselves. And even if they're not specific movement patterns, just a squat, a squat might not be specific to a sprinter, but you want to see these certain things happen. You want to see them using their hips basically, I think. Um, so yeah, and that's just that's not just sprinter. That's every single person I've ever wor- worked with. Those are the specific things that I will be looking for for most of the time. Uh, so yeah, I hope that helps. I think that's the end of the episode. Um, maybe a shorter one today. I don't know how long we actually went for it, but I need to get a haircut and a beard trim before our workshop in Dublin this weekend, which I'm looking forward to. It's sold out, and uh, we have a really good group coming. It's going to be nice to not have to go to an airport and fly so the travel is good like the travel is great going to munich going to australia going to where else were we london um were we anywhere else we're in london twice we're in australia we were in munich then dublin and then we've canada coming up soon as well so there's actually a few tickets left for montreal that being in the cities is great be teaching the workshops i love being able to explore like a day before and a day after is amazing it's basically like what i wanted to five years ago 10 years ago i kind of set out a goal of i would love to be able to do that and now i'm doing it so that's that's awesome but going to airports is a pain in the ass especially in ireland where we don't have an airport in our city i have to drive two hours to the airport so even when you get home like you get home you land back in the airport we still have to go and get the car and then we still have to drive two hours home. So that is definitely a pain in the ass. So it'll be nice to go just drive up to Dublin and um, chill out up there. And then the day after the Dublin workshop, me and Chris are going to Portugal for a few days. So we're going to go. He's going to he's going to train me in jiu-jitsu for a few days. We're going to hang out. We're going to swim. We're going to eat. We're going to drink coffee. We're going to cycle bikes. We're going to do lots of stuff like that. So that's going to be fun. And maybe we'll have some kind of, I don't know, like mini retreat or something like that in the future. But for now, I'm just going to be, I'm just looking forward to hanging out with Chris and training, messing around and getting some sun and some sea. And I feel like that little holiday is going to be nice. And uh, maybe we'll even record a podcast while we're over there. So 
so yeah hope you all had a good uh week enjoyed the episode and um yeah lots of love i'll talk to you guys next time